0: episode number 56. An 80-year-old man is learning the same thing as a 15-year-old kid, the same Gemara. How can that be? Welcome to the Torah Podcast. Lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the tools and inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Alejo Mitterhoff with this week's Torah Podcast. The Torah portion of the week is Hosai, how to be blessed, the Jewish answer to success. We're going to have a powerful parable about not giving a doctor a gift, a great story about Rav Shach and peace in your home, more on criticism. And now, the Torah portion of the week with novel ideas from the classic commentaries. The Parsha starts out, If you will follow my decrees and observe my commandments, and perform them, then I will provide your rains in their time, and the earth will give its produce, and the tree of the field will give its fruit. And the verses continue giving all the blessings to the Jewish people. And if, God forbid, we don't listen to the Torah, then the walk courses are going to fall on us. Shalom. <laughs> so Rashi explains, what does it mean that if you follow, walk in my ways, im it means ameles betoira, working hard in learning. And this is the real job of every Jew, to sit and learn when he has time, when he can, he should learn with all his ability. And this is where the blessings are to come from. That's what Rashi tells us. So there's a famous Rav Chaim Shmuel Lovitch, which I love to speak about. He brings the Gemara in Yoma. The rabbi's Torah, the pauper, the rich man, and the wicked one, all stand in heavenly judgment. The poor man is asked, why didn't he learn Torah? He says, I was poor and poor and busy supporting myself. So they ask him, were you poorer than Hillel? Hillel had nothing, and still he learned Torah. Then when the rich man comes to judgment, they ask him, why didn't you learn Torah? And he answers, listen, I was wealthy. I was occupied all day with my business. So they say to him, were you wealthier than Rebbe Lezer? His father left him a thousand cities and a thousand ships. Still he learned Torah. Then when the wicked man gets judged, they ask him, why didn't you learn Torah? He said, I was handsome and preoccupied all day with my evil inclination.'" They say to him, were you more handsome than Yosef? So the Gemara ends that the poor people will be held accountable because of Hillel, the rich people because of Rebbe and the wicked people because of Yosef. So Reb Chaim Shmuel Levitch asked an unbelievable difficulty. He said, wait a second, why did this Chazal take in the difference of stature? Why should every person be judged by Hillel? Hillel was a giant. Why should every rich person be judged by Rebbe He was also one of the Tanayim. Because somebody's good-looking, is going to be judged by Yosef. Yosef's one of the Shvatim, one of the 12 tribes. How is it possible that because they were obligated to learn under their circumstances, that regular people like you and me are also obligated to learn? It's an unbelievable difficulty. And the answer is also unbelievable. I've spoke about this many times before. He answers, since Torah itself is the source of our spiritual life, it's the source of our next world, of all of our reward, so the playing field is level. He says like the difference between a luxury item and bread and water. When it comes to a luxury item, so okay, different people try to get it, they work hard, but some people buy it and some people don't. But when it comes to bread, everybody's equal. No one just waits in the house for the bread to come. Every person goes out to look for bread because it's the source of our lives. Without it, we can't live. So too the Torah. The Torah is the purpose of our lives. It's our life blood. Therefore, everybody's equal. We don't take into account that Hillel was so big or that Yosef was so great. Everybody's the same when it comes to life or death. So we see from here how important it is to fix times to sit and learn and to work hard in learning, like Rashi says. But the Malabim has the kasha. If you look in the Pesuch, it says, what's going to happen if the guy does sit and learn? You're going to get range in their time. The earth will give forth its produce. And the tree of the field will give its fruit. You will eat bread and be satisfied. And you'll dwell in security in your land. Well, All these rewards are physical. The Mabum has a question. What about the next world? Why doesn't the Torah itself talk about the next world? It's only a that says the reward is so great that no eye has ever seen it. That's what we know. That's the source for the next world. That's the main reward. Why does the Torah talk about the rewards in this world? And not only that, we know we're not supposed to serve God to receive a present, to receive gifts. We have to serve God just out of the goodness out of our hearts, out of appreciating that we're alive. So what are all these rewards about? So the Mabam brings a parable. One time there was a king who had this beautiful garden, and he wanted to invite everyone to come to eat food there, such pleasure, such entertainment. It was going to be great. It was everything that a person wanted. And he says to them, And if you come to my garden, I will give you a bag of silver. Why does he have to orphan them a bag of silver? It's enough that they come to the garden. They don't need the bag of silver. They'll come on their own to the garden. That in itself is the reward. The same thing in this week's Parsha. The real reward is in the next world. No eye has ever seen it. It's something that we can't imagine. So why is the Torah saying, that if you do my mitzvahs and learn my Torah, you'll get rain, you'll get bread, you'll get all these things. That's nothing compared to the real reward that you're going to get. So the Mabam answers, just like in the Mashal, there's no reason at all for the king to promise his friends a delight in the garden, because that's what he offered in the first place. He's offering them to come to the garden. That's not the reward, that's the offer itself. And he's offering them the gold in order that they should come to receive the offer. So to here, the Torah itself is what God's giving us. And the Torah itself is the reward. We have it now. And the Malabim explains, if it wasn't for our physicality, we would get so much pleasure from Torah, we'd have a Lamabah right here, right now. We'd be in a Lamabah, We're receiving the reward right now just by sitting and learning. He says, Adam's greatest delight, Adam Rishon, the first man, and the entire purpose of his being in paradise, was the fulfillment of the commandments. Torah study and mitzvah observance is the eternal delight for the righteous. Which means that if we were in touch with reality, we'd be receiving our reward right now just by sitting and learning. If you have had the opportunity to sit and learn for many hours, you could have tremendous spiritual experiences. It's the greatest intellectual pleasure. And the Zohar says that part of Shavuos is that Hashem is Matai Heras, that we can appreciate the Torah itself. Hashem purifies us on Shavuos in order to be able to learn the Torah and appreciate the Torah. And Revobi brings down. What does it mean, Talechu? Im b'chukhosa'i Talechu. The Orachayim actually gives 40 different purushim of what it means. But I'm not going to bring that down now. I'm just going to bring here Revolbi. Talechu means to go. To go in the ways of the Torah. The answer is, the Torah is endless. You go deeper and deeper. Every time you learn it over again, you learn a Gemara at a different time, another Chiddush, and another Chiddush, another new idea, another angle, another way of looking at it. It's endless. It's infinite. And you can go further and further. That's why a person can never say, no, I already learned that. An 80-year-old man is learning the same thing as a 15-year-old kid. The same Gemara. How can that be? Where do you see a book in the world where the old and the young all learn it together? And you go over it again and over it again. And more juice comes out. More light. And that's what Rashi says and the Pasuk says. That's where the blessing comes from. From going over and over again. And that's the reward. That's the pleasure in this world. So the question now is, well, why don't we feel that way? Why don't we live that way? How can we become that way? So Avhanak Lebowitz brings down the Vayikra Rabbah 35.1. Many people speak on this Midrash and this week's partial. The Pasik in Tehillim says, David Amalek said, I contemplate on my path and my feet return to your testimony. So the Midrash explains what that means. It's a Davad every day, he would decide where he has to go. And what he has to do? He was the king. got had a lot to do. But every day, somehow, his feet would literally carry him off and bring him back to the base to sit and learn. Here is the king. He has all these responsibilities. And he has to take care of them. And somehow, he always winds up back sitting in front of a gemara. Back in the base middush. So if Leibowitz says, wait a second, was he neglecting his public office? If you are the king, you have to take care of the people. So it can't be that's Peshat. There must be a different problem here. So he wants to explain the challenge that David and Melech had, which is a challenge that all of us have, is to figure out what is necessary to do and how much time do we actually have to sit and learn. Of course we have to take care of things in life. People need parnasa, they need money, they need to take care of their family. But the question is, when and where? How far does that go? Is your drive to get back to the base Midrash? Do you have appreciation for Torah? So as soon as things calm down, you go back? Or you overemphasize in these external things. You don't have a minute left for learning. Every second you have to make money. Every second you have to take care of kids and your wife. So he explains it's just the opposite. Really, 24-7, you should be sitting and learning. And when it's mukhrak, when you have to take care of the outside things, so you have to go take care of them. And that was Davon Every day he would go out to take care of the things that had to take care of. But the full position was back in the base Midrash and that's where he wound up. So that's the answer of how to bring the blessing into your life. You have to figure out what you're emphasizing. You have to realign your value system. You have to do a spiritual accounting to see how much time you're spending on outside things. And kv'ya yitim l'torah, fixed times for learning. An hour before the davening, an hour after the davening, all these little differences make a difference. Yeah, so you'll say, yeah, but I'm not a very good learner, I don't know how to learn, I don't really enjoy the learning, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. So the Chas himself brings down the verse from Mishlei. all the days of a poor person are bad. Who's that referring to? Students of the Talmud. Because everybody who sits in front of a Gemara, the further he goes, the realise the less he knows. So why should we do it? The answer is, it doesn't matter, that's not our job, our job is to sit and learn. The blessing will come eventually, and the understanding will come. And when to end off with the Chafetz Chaim. He brings down a Gemara in Brachos, 28b, that says, We, the students of Torah, toil, and they toil as well. We toil and receive reward, and they toil, but they do not receive reward. Who's they? They're people who are working all day. So he says, wait a second, it doesn't make any sense. What do you mean they don't receive reward? Of course they receive reward. If a tailor makes a suit and sells it, he gets paid. A shoemaker makes a shoe, he gets paid for it. They do receive reward. So the answer is no. The Gemara is talking about toiling, working. We work hard and receive reward even if we don't produce the fruits. A tailor, if he doesn't produce the suit, he doesn't get paid. A shoemaker doesn't make the shoe, he doesn't get paid for it. But we, just by working and learning, we receive reward from that. And we get pleasure from that. We don't have to produce the finished product. It's nice, obviously. And eventually, our understanding will grow. But the main thing is that we have to fix times to learn. And before Shavuos is a time, now is the time. It's an Ratzon. It's a time of mercy, particularly in the ability to macable upon ourselves, all Torah, to receive upon ourselves the yoke of Torah. Now is the time. And if we fix a time to sit and learn, we make a chevrusa. We find the time to learn, then we will receive all the blessings that God wants to give us. Here is a powerful parable to open your mind and help you reach your potential. The verse says, And if you walk contrary to me, then I too will walk contrary to you. The translating the word carry, which means a happenstance, a happening. In other words, if you only go and do mitzvah some of the time, so only deal with you some of the time. That's what Hashem says to the Jewish people. The Magi Madhu will bring the parable. It says, one time there was a king, and he used to give out gifts at certain times of the years when there was holidays. He used to give gifts to all his servants and his ministers. And he also had a set of doctors, but he didn't give them gifts. But if they got into trouble, he would help them out. So one time, one of the king's advisors asked the king, why don't you give gifts to the doctors also? So the king explained. He said, the servants and the ministers, they're always my servants and always my ministers. Every single day they work for me. But the doctors are only around when I get sick. When I'm healthy, they don't even remember that they work for me. So I treat them the same way. I don't give them gifts, but if they get in trouble, I help. So what's the nimshah? If the Jewish people are constantly serving God in a kavuah way, in a fixed way, so God will be with us constantly. But if we serve him, but carry, but happenstance, once in a while, so God, too, he'll be around once in a while when we need some help. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. One time, Rav Shach was deeply immersed in learning. He was sitting on the porch in front of the yeshiva. He was deep in his thoughts. But one young boy rushed into the yeshiva. He didn't notice Rivshak was there. He bumped into him and he knocked him down. He fell out of his chair. So two other young men immediately came and they picked him up and put Rav Shach back in his chair. So the young boy was so scared, he didn't know what to do. He begged Rav Shach for forgiveness. Please forgive me. So Rav Shach says, I don't know what you're talking about. So the boy got more nervous. He says, please, please ask Rav Shach to forgive me. So one of the other boys came to Rav Shach and he said, listen, our friend Rav Shach, he wants you to forgive him. So Rav Shach says to him, and now I don't know what you're talking about. So he explained to him that the boy came and he knocked you down. He knocked you out of your chair. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. Nobody knocked me down. This is a true story. Rav Shach was so involved in his learning and his thinking, he didn't even know he was knocked down and, and put back into his chair. That was the quality of the gedolim of the great Torah scholars. They were totally involved. And this reminds me of another story of Rav Baruch Bear. One time somebody came to Rav Baruch Bear to ask him a shayla, to ask him a question. He said, come back in two hours to give me time to come out of the Sugir. In other words, he wanted two hours to come out of what he was learning in order to be able to answer this question. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. If Simca Cohen continues to talk about criticism, she never say, you shouldn't have done it that way, but you should have done it this way. Why? Because the first half of the sentence knocks out the second half. And you surely shouldn't say, it would have come out better if I would have done it you're telling the other person i'm better than you you have to soften things up you should say something like this i think we should not we should not have done it that way and don't compare your spouse to somebody else don't say i wish you were like my sister it's just provoking them and if you need to tell your spouse something you should help out in the house a little bit before where we learn this from moshe Rabbeinu. It says that moshe Rabbeinu didn't give rebuke to the jewish people until he conquered and gave them the land once they got the land, then it rebuked them. Now, there's a lot of different reasons why people criticize. Maybe they're just a negative person. Maybe they picked it up from their parents. Or maybe they suffered a lot and they feel a permanent sense of discontent. Or maybe they're lacking in their family life, so that's what they're complaining about. And they're trying to vent their frustration. In that case, you have to check out what's the underlying problem. Does the person feel unappreciated? So then you have to praise them more. And don't say, how can I give a compliment to this person who's constantly criticizing me? I don't know, but just the opposite. The compliments will solve the criticism. And sometimes criticism is very subtle. For example, if you say why, it comes out as a criticism. Why don't you come to the table? Why are these toys all over the floor? That's criticism. Or sarcasm. Oh, I really appreciate that. That's a type of a criticism also. When you give non-constructive criticism to another person, it cuts off all forms of communication. And really all the president is doing is he's venting his own personal anger. Because his needs are not being met. He's venting his anger. So if Destler says on this, you have to be very careful. Because a person will be judged in the heavenly court for hurting another person. Or causing him pain for your own enjoyment. Here are a couple of rules for what not to do. Do not criticize your mate the moment they walk in the door. These things are so obvious. But everybody does them. The person's coming home from a hostile environment. Who knows what happened on the road, what happened today. They want to come into their house to feel relaxed, to feel safe. So the last thing they want is a critical remark as soon as they walk in the door. Just wait a while. Also the opposite. Don't criticize as soon as you walk in the door. Do you want your spouse to say, Well, I hope he doesn't come home. I hope they don't come home. Maybe they'll be late. Maybe I'll get lucky. Something will happen to them along the way. I won't have to deal with them. Destroys the relationship. Also, don't criticize as soon as the person's about to leave the house. It's very common. People want to vent their anger just as the person's about to leave so they don't have to have a fight, but at least they get the point in. It's very destructive. Why? Because the person all day thinks about what their spouse said to them as they walked out of the house. And they see other couples talking to each other. They see other people and they're thinking, everybody in the world is more friendly and more nice than my wife or my husband. Also, don't criticize when you're about to go out for dinner. These things are so obvious and everybody does them. Why? Because before you're about to go out, there's all kinds of pressure in the house to get out and the kids are acting up and the pressure goes up. But shut your mouth. If you want to have a pleasant evening together, don't start the night criticizing each other. Another rule, don't criticize when the other person is trying to make things pleasant. You're going to ruin it and they're not going to want to try again. Also, do not criticize at mealtimes. At mealtimes, everyone wants to sit down and relax. The pleasure that you get from the meal helps the person to relax. You don't want to make the meal full of tension. You're just going to build the tension in the house. And don't criticize right after something negative happened. Let's say something happened, they did something wrong. Wait. And lastly, never criticize your spouse in front of other people. This is the worst. Why? Because now she feels or they feel that there's a whole team against her. It's not only you. It's you and the guest. And it's very bad for the relationship. Okay, that's it for this week's podcast. Please share with your friends and please go to iTunes right now and leave a comment and a rating. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Torah Podcast. Just visit RabbiMeterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments.